Welcome to the Sensory Change Podcast, where we learn to think differently as a community supporting sensory kids at all levels. We share all sensory matters through discussions and interviews with experts in the field to get practical ideas and simple strategies to implement in day-to-day life. Here is your host and author of Against the Odds, Dana Latter. is an alternative healthcare practitioner and a chiropractor who utilizes a special treatment which combines multiple fields of science. His primary focus is to help his patients regain a sense of neurobiological balance. Hello, Dr. Kyle. How are you? I'm fine, thanks. So thank you for being here with me today and what made you combine different approaches related to brain development and primitive reflexes? Well, the main thing is, is when you look at these kids with sensory issues, really the question is, is what's going on? And because uh, really, there's really not a lot of answers to why. And I think this is why there's such a huge challenge in treating all these kids is because we have coping mechanisms. We, you know, these kids, they, they have visual processing issues. They have sensory issues. So I, you know, when I'm working with people is that my goal is to try and apply different types of sensory stimulation. And I found that it was working. So if I was using visual inputs, for example, using different colors, um, then trying out different sounds and then trying out different types of vibration stimulus. Um, yeah, I just found out that working with all these kids, they all had sensory issues. And so using a multiple sensory approach was pretty beneficial. Um, but the, the big thing that I find in all my kids is that these kids have primitive reflexes. Um, and I feel like that's kind of a big niche that, you know, a lot of people miss out on is that, you know, for example, for speech therapy, you know, they start working on these kids trying to get kids to talk, but yet if they have primitive reflexes, for example, like the Palmer reflex in their hand and the rooting reflex, uh, on their mouth, well, that's telling us that. You know that the brain's still immature. So, yeah. <laughs> in my opinion, I think that if you work on integrating that, getting those reflexes to go away, you're going to start seeing that kids are going to start, you know, being able to talk a lot more efficiently. Or you can get a kid who's having issues, you know, just being nonverbal to actually get them to even start talking. So I say, oh, I do majority. So I like to work on the Palmer grasp. I like to look at the rooting. I look at the snout reflex. I look at the asymmetric tonic neck reflex. I look at the tonic labyrinth uh, reflex, the symmetric tonic reflex, uh, the moral response, the spinal gallant, Babinski, um, and then Perez. Those are kind of the main ones that say I focus on. And is it a code? I mean, um, we went to a place in England called the Bird Institute for brain development and they worked on certain four reflexes but later on with the development i realized that we didn't do moro and perez and other ones so it's difficult to find someone i mean who focuses on all the ones you need yeah well you know and i have a, i have uh, i have a kid coming in next week uh, for an intensive that's from london um i've had a couple of kids from the uk that come and see me um, 
and, you know, we're, we're actually training. So we have a, in, in February, February 8th, I think through the 10th, we have a seminar in Amsterdam where we're teaching uh, a lot of the European doctors all this. Uh, our last module was in Barcelona. We only had 60 practitioners there. And, um, and that was practitioners, you know, all throughout Europe, some even included in China and, and New Zealand and Australia. So it's not, there's not a lot of doctors out there or clinicians or practitioners or therapists that know this kind of information. But again, you have to look at the whole picture because I've seen this happen where, you know, I was having a kid come in and the kid was having bedwetting issues and, you know, someone checked the ATNR reflex and the Babinski, but then they didn't know the kid had a spinal gallant, which is when you get yeah. on all fours and you stroke on the back and the kid flinches. Yeah. So that was a reflex that, you know, he was seeing a very phenomenal uh, occupational therapist, which, again, it's not that these doctors and therapists don't know what they're doing. It's just that you have to really do a full assessment. And I think that it's challenging in the healthcare, uh, whatever model you're in, whether someone's in insurance and cash is because, uh, you know, an insurance model, the insurance companies have, re you know, they've reduced their reimbursement. So you typically have to see a higher number of patients. Um, so sometimes the exam could be cut short um, or someone's pressed for time. And so maybe that one kid, you know, or even adult might not get a full assessment. And that's where I think that it's, you know, very, very important that um, all the assessments, someone needs to look at the eyes, check at ocular alignment, see if a kid has any type of deviation in their eyes. And I look, first thing I walk into a room and I look at the kid's eyes and I'll see that too. If I see this kid whose eyes deviated, i pretty much know this kid's probably going to be all over the place and you see a lot with behavior kids with behavior problems they'll have some sort of strabismus in their eye well what do you do for that well you do eye movement exercises or you do like postural work to help improve that but then you go back and look at the primitive reflexes so you know i had this really cool case that came in and it was i got a kid who was around 10 years old who was nonverbal, um and we got him to be able to speak and we did it in a we, we literally did it in a week and a half and the mom asked me, she said, look, we've been traveling all over seeing all, all these speech therapists. And I'm like, okay. And she's like, you know, we've had imaging. There's really no one knows what's going on in the like, kid's brain. He just like, you know, he, he seems like he's kind of aggressive. But, you know, and I was like, well, you know, he can't communicate. So he's frustrated. So I checked his palmer reflex. So I like stroke his hand, it, like completely, you know, grasped. Um, did bi bilaterally both sides, they grasped. We checked his rooting reflex, that was present. Got on all fours, turned his head to the right, his left elbow bent, so he had a positive asymmetric tonic neck reflex, and did the opposite. And he had a spinal gallant, and I'm like, Your kid has primitive reflexes. And she's like, What's that? I'm like, I mean, the primitive reflexes are set, you know, for milestones for brain development. So if you don't get rid of this stuff, it's very hard for your kid to be able to get involved in some sort of exercise or get involved in rehab and then this stuff actually stick because like, you can roll a kid do a lot of sensory work you know put some vibration on his mouth you know and it's going to talk but until you get rid of his reflexes i don't see him really speaking <clears throat> so uh you know i'm training under dr robert malilo and i do you know I, I teach with him now um but we have this program now where we use even laser therapy and we use a laser over certain parts of the head, or we can use maybe laser in the cerebellum, and then we'll stimulate a primitive reflex, and that's what we typically do to get rid of it. And uh, yeah, we took this kid, so I did an exam on a Wednesday, 
And the following week, by Tuesday, we get this kid to start talking. And for me, you know, we had this on video, so it was it was neat to watch. But it was awesome because I think for me, the, the probably the out of all the cases, and I work with a lot of brain injury people and, you know, a lot of kids with sensory issues. But to me, probably the most rewarding case is to be able to take someone who's nonverbal and getting that kid to communicate. Especially when you're going to say, like, I love you, mom. And, um, mm-hmm. you know, it's something that I feel that, you know, it's, it's, it's rewarding. But now for me, I'm trying to travel over the world and I'm doing that, teaching people this stuff. Uh, because you're not learning the stuff in textbooks. Uh, and it's not being taught in, in the universities. It's being taught, you know, in seminars. And um, so, yeah, so I'm trying to go out through Europe. I'm doing some stuff in the Middle East. And I'm just trying to teach people all this stuff is that, first of all, you have to check for primitive reflexes. I don't care across the board what you can do, you know, the best the best sensory modalities and you're putting vibration and doing the lights and doing mm-hmm. neurofeedback and, you know, the whole dietary, the, you know, the gluten food sensitivity testing. And that's all great. But the first approach, in my opinion, is someone needs to check for primitive reflexes. Then you get into like improving motor and sensory function. Then you get into mm-hmm. specific skills and then it spins off where now it's going to start improving behavior or it's going to start improving academic issues. Uh-huh. And in your experience, how long does, I mean, I know it's a big question that, I mean, everybody's got different um, primitive reflexes, but for example, I know the ATNR takes a long time to inhibit. That would be depending on the skill of the clinician. So, um, um, I mean, I can get rid of an ATNR pretty quick. I'd say a couple of visits. Um, sometimes, you know, that, that means whether someone's coming in two or three times a week. Um, so I do what's called an intensive program where I have someone come in and they spend anywhere between three, four hours a day doing rehab, doing, you know, our protocols. And when they leave by the end of the week, my goal is to have that reflex knocked out. Um, so, I mean, for me, I feel very comfortable so that I can help myself. I can get rid of an ATNR within a week. Um, you know, but, you know, I'd say in traditional setting, it could take anywhere between six months to a year, um, Mm -hmm. doing the lizard exercise and stuff like that. Um, but then again, how I'm able to get rid of it or integrate the reflex is that I'm using, um, you know, methods that I've been, I've been taught by Dr. Malilo. So I might use a laser, I might use a laser over behind the ear to help influence the cerebellum. I might use... Um, like a hemi stem, I might use some sort of color stimulation to the eyes to help help activate mm-hmm. whether it's the right or the left side of the brain. I might use sound, you know, in one ear to help influence. I might use sound and vision and laser. Uh, I might even put vibration on the hand or the foot or the spine. Use you know you know color therapy, sound therapy, maybe even throw an essential oil smell with the laser. So I use a lot of multi-sensory approaches to try to help out with integrating to get this reflex to go away. And that's why I feel like, you know, for me to get one to go away in a week, um, you know, I think if you properly do the right stimulation at the right threshold, um, that's where I feel comfortable saying that I can get rid of one in a week. Now, um, does that mean that, you know, for me, it's saying, all right, I'm going to get rid of it, but I still want you to go and do exercises. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I've kind of known for getting rid of reflexes pretty quick. Um, mm-hmm. I mean, if someone, for example, like someone's next week, like I said, flying from London, so they're coming in to see me and they're coming in to get rid of primitive reflexes. So for me, you know, I have a week with this patient 
that's the goal is to get rid of all their primitive reflexes in a week. Wow. And what is NeuroSage and how can it help children on the autistic spectrum? Okay, so NeuroSage, again, it's based off of a lot of Robert Melillo's work. So Dr. Melillo, if you're not familiar with him, but he created this yeah. idea called Brain Balance where you basically fill an intake form out and you want to differentiate to see whether this kid has a lot of right brain function or left brain function. And so the kid has a very high left brain function and well, then you do stimulation on the opposite side to the right side of the brain. So the goal is to try to create a balance. The goal is to try to create a balance within the nervous system. And um, so what I do is, is I have this intake form where you fill it out. And then from that, I do an assessment to determine whether I need to stimulate the right or left side of the brain. And um, so I use colors. I use sound. There's different sounds. For example, like if certain kids have issues with like their cerebellum, you can use frequencies for that. Or if they have issues with their frontal lobe, you can you can stimulate that. Um, so NeuroSage, it's a combination of uh, colors, it's a combination of sound, um, and then what it is that I put together an entertainment. Because when I first started working with kids, what happened is is these kids don't want to come to therapy. Uh, typically, they don't, but they love iPads, they love iPhones, they like video games. So my goal was to be able to take a video game and create the most kind of perfect sensory stimulation to where I can make this game very entertaining. And then yet I can use colors and sounds to try to help with stimulating whatever side of the brain I want it to stimulate. So if I want to stimulate the left side of the brain, then I'll have a certain color pattern with certain type of music with sound and one side of the ear, you know, one side of the headset to drive that side of the brain or vice versa. So um, that's how we help out with, you know, neurosage with kids with sensory disorders. And, um, you know, I, I did a study at Life University, and it was just a basic study for, you know, IRB, just to prove that it was safe and effective. But now um, we're in the process of doing stuff for the FDA, and that now is going to be dealing with specifically kids with ADHD and autism. Uh, and we're trying to get this research project done, possibly in Cuba. Uh-huh. And is the light therapy something like syntonics or...? Uh, it's, I mean, it's, it's a combination of, of a lot of different things, but, um, you know, just certain colors, for example, like the color blue can activate the right side of the brain. The color red can activate the left. Um, so, I mean, I'm familiar with syntonics, but neurosage is just, it's a little bit more than just that. Uh-huh. And uh, do you have any experience with the neurofeedback protocols? Is that something that's combined <clears throat> yeah, so- in that? I have a uh, one of our video games previously. So in 2014, we developed a neurofeedback. You know, we had a neurofeedback game. It was like a uh, we were you put a headset on and you would make a uh, ghost. It was called Make Jasper Fly. Um, so I'm very familiar with neurofeedback. This version doesn't use neurofeedback. Uh, so NeuroSage 3.0 or 4.0 doesn't have it. But um, yeah, I mean I'm familiar with it, but we just don't have it in, in the current version right now. But is it something you'd recommend to children on the uh, spectrum? Yeah, I think I think neurofeedback's beneficial. Uh-huh. And um, what would be your advice regarding a diet and nutrition? Okay, so, you know, th- there's a lot of mixed stuff with looking at, you know, the dietary stuff for kids. Um, you know, there's, you know, there's a big thing with the gluten and dairy-free and soy-free and corn-free diet, which, you know, I'm a fan of all that. Um what I typically find is, is if I run a food sensitivity panel on a kid and I find that this kid <clears throat> has a right brain deficiency, 
I normally see that this kid normally has a lot of food sensitivities. So what I like to do is I like to just kind of blanket, you know, start kids on like a gluten and a dairy-free diet at first. And then in the process, I like to look and see if there's any food sensitivities. And then from the food sensitivities, then we alter it. Um, so again, across the board, I like a gluten-free and a dairy-free diet. The next thing, if you want to get a little more intensive, then I'll start getting into like a corn-free and a soy-free. And then I'll also get into a food sensitivity diet where we it's really restricted, but it's only eating foods that kids don't show any sensitivity to. Um, so I, I'm a big fan of another, there's a lab out there, it's called an organic acid panel, and you guys have that in Europe, and especially in the UK, because um, I have a kid that I've, I've sent some, you know, a lab to. But um, it's a urine sample, and this thing checks to see if there's any nutrient deficiencies too. So like if these kids have any issues with B vitamins or methylation, mm -hmm. or if they have any issues with any neurotransmitters or any gut bacteria issues or any type of detoxification issues or yeast overgrowth. And um, that's probably one of my favorite labs to run it. It's a urine sample. So it's called Genova Organic Acid Panel, a profile. Um, so I kind of take a diet, mm -hmm. excuse me, I take a diet based off of, um, you know, whatever my food sensitivities is, and then I'll turn around and do this organic acid panel to see if there's any type of nutrient deficiencies. Because for me, it's kind of like this, what's going on in the brain? Or what's going on in the body, and there's obviously something, because when you look at an MRI, you typically don't see anything, but then you can do what's called a functional MRI. And now you're starting to see that, you know, maybe a kid has more activity in the left side of the brain than versus the right. Or if you have a kid who has issues with, you know, dyslexia or a kid who's not speaking, a lot of times some of these nonverbal kids, you might see that they might not have as much activity in a certain part of the left side of the brain, but they could have more activity in the right side of the brain. And then there's this thing called a DTI. Um, it's a diffuse tractography imaging, um, which now actually shows the integration of all the neurological pathways. Um, so there's lots of different types of imagings that are coming out that people just aren't aware of that you can do to actually physically see things going on inside mm -hmm. the brain. Um, then you can look at stuff like quantitative EEGs and seeing you know, if maybe the frontal lobe doesn't have enough of alpha or delta or beta or the occipital lobe has too much beta or theta waves. Uh, and that's where you can start doing neurofeedback. And so it's kind of like the more that you know what's going on in the body and the brain, the more that you can actually effectively treat it. And that's where I think that, you know, it's just the kid can get diagnosed with autism, but it's like, all right, well, what's next? And now parents are pretty much going to the Internet trying to find they're getting into support groups and trying to find what other people are doing that works. And for me, I've say that I feel like, you know, that's a great thing to do to start figuring out what works because that's how you effectively treat this stuff. Um, and again, I think that just someone looking at diet modifications, looking at nutritional modifications, someone even looking at thyroid hormones in these kids. I, I see a lot of kids that their thyroid hormone could be off. Someone looking at their eyes, making sure that they can actually visually process, they can track, they can fixate their eyes, they can do what's called pursuits and saccades, they can do vertical eye movements and horizontal mm -hmm. eye movements. Um, the eyes can converge, that they don't have any auditory processing, they can hear just as well on the left as the right. They don't mm -hmm. have any primitive reflexes. When they walk, both arms swing. They don't have one arm that swings, one arm doesn't. When they walk, do they have a head tilt? 
Um, and then how's their nutritional status? How's their diet? To me, it's kind of like you got to build a picture and every kid's different and not every kid fits into this little cookie cutter approach. Um, and that's why for me, it's kind of like I, I love what I do and I love working with people because every single kid is different. Um, you know, I have a kid one day that shows up and, you know, they're trying to pry the kid through the door and the kid's, you know, he's, he's a runner. He's like running, literally mom gets him out of the car and just takes off running. Uh, and then you have another kid that'll just come in here and he's sitting in a corner and just staring, you know, at the wall. And you have another kid who's on his iPad the whole entire time. Um, and then another kid who's going in the mm -hmm. office and he's like literally throwing everything down. And, um, so it's kind of like, you know, all these kids the same. The answer is no. Each one of them individually has something that's more severe than the other. And it's just about trying to locate and detect that one. But if, you know, if my message can get out to anyone, primitive reflexes, checking majority of them, the ones that I said are the ones that I do, um, that in me across the board in every case, that's the foundation. That's where I start from. And then I'll just work my way up. Exactly. And there's a big debate in the medicine world regarding providing medication to children. Hey, what's your intake on it? I mean, for me, I really don't see that, but um, just, I mean, I was, I was diagnosed as a kid with ADHD. I was on amphetamines for 18 years. I got all of the medication. I still had ADHD. Um, so this is what kind of led me to where I'm at today is I started finding out that, you know, I had growing up, I had inner ear infections. I had eczema. I had asthma. I had to take an allergy shot daily. I did this stuff for years. No one ever checked me for food sensitivities, although I was checked for food allergies. Didn't have any allergies. Mm -hmm. I had a lot of sensitivities. I got off of drinking dairy products, and then my asthma went away. Then my allergies went away. So then I was able to literally get off my albuterol pump. I was able to get off my allergy shots. Um, you know, it would have been nice to know this stuff when I was a little kid instead of spending, you know, years of having to take these freaking injections all the time. Yeah. Now, from the medicine standpoint, you know, I mean, uh, I mean, I think these kids need a lot more than that, you know. My goal would be to hopefully help these kids who are not on medication, but I do see that majority of these kids could have issues with their thyroid, and it's something that you don't play around with. I think that these kids, you know, might need to be put on a thyroid hormone. But as far as wise for the the stimulants and stuff like that, I just think that's a little scary to be on. But that's just my yeah. opinion. Yeah. That's my opinion as well. And um, Dr. Carl, how can uh, parents be in touch with you? Um, so I have a website. It's called uh, www.uperformance.com. Um, and then, you know, a lot of people find me from Instagram. And what I do is is people can reach out to that. Um, if they send me a message, you know, on Instagram, which is Dr. Kyle Daigle, DC, um, I have my staff that typically checks my emails and they'll send people and say, hey, you can reach out to this number, which is our office number, which is plus one. Three three seven four two one zero zero one zero, and uh, yeah, you can call in, and they can get people up. And so the process for me is that to work with me, I normally do a phone consult. So I talk with the parent typically for about an hour, and then from that, I send out intake forms, and you get a pretty nice little booklet of intakes. And then the goal for that is to see if someone can qualify for our intensive program and our intensive program is when someone you know comes in they spend one week with me whether it's three to four hours a day of intense therapy for either we do a half a week or a full week 
and then I give them with home exercises, and then we follow up. And I do a lot of uh, work, you know, because that patient's all over the world. I do a lot of stuff through, you know, Google Hangout or FaceTime. Uh, thank you so much. You're welcome. I learned a lot, and I wish I'd come and visit your office one day. <laughs> yeah, yeah, awesome. Well, thank you. Thank you. Bye. Thank you. Bye. Thank you for listening to the Sensory Change Podcast. If you liked what you heard, please leave a review and don't forget to subscribe.